Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Monday, July 27th. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. Coronavirus deaths rising in 29 states as experts warn the nation needs to shut down again in the face of the pandemic. Protests escalate in several major cities. One demonstrator shot to death in Austin, Texas during a contentious weekend on the streets. And remembering an icon, the country saying goodbye to civil rights leader John Lewis. This and much more today on You News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. A historic day in the fight against the coronavirus faced three clinical trials underway today in 89 locations across the country. Thousands of volunteers willing to participate. This as deaths continue to rise. California and Florida leading the nation in cases and Dr. Burks warning some states to act now before they become the next hotspot. Lorraine Caceres has more. The race to defeat the coronavirus is on. 30,000 Americans expected to volunteer for Moderna's vaccine clinical trials. The first vaccines and placebos injected just this morning. Donna, local TV anchor in Savannah, Georgia, speaking to CNN about her experience. You are the first person in the United States to get a shot in a phase three COVID trial. What does that feel like? It is very exciting. Um, I'm very anxious about it. I just hope that they're really, really good good results. Um, I know a lot of people are doing a lot of different vaccine trials and things are going on, but um, I, from the morning, I feel so proud. Meanwhile, the need for a vaccine growing more urgent as deaths rise in 29 states. The country seeing more than 1,000 COVID deaths a day for five consecutive days. FEMA now calling out to medical professionals around the country to help five hard-hit states, Arizona, Louisiana, Texas, California, and Florida, which has now surpassed New York and is the second state after California with the most COVID-19 cases. This as a family in Gainesville mourns the death of the youngest COVID-19 victim in the state. Her mother saying she had no underlying conditions, and even though she took it to the hospital with a fever, doctors did not test her for coronavirus, sending her home. A few days later, the girl failing to wake up from a nap. I was shaking her, yelling at her. I yelled at my mom, and you know, I told her to come in here because Kim's not breathing. I was just trying to trying to bring her back. I tried, I tried everything I could to bring her back. Meanwhile, Dr. Burks of the White House Coronavirus Task Force warning Kentucky, Tennessee, Ohio, Indiana, and Virginia to avoid becoming the next hotspot, taking measures now like closing bars, limiting capacity at restaurants, and wearing masks. On Sunday, Texas reported more than 5,800 new cases. The state has seen over 390,000 cases to date and surpassed the grim milestone of more than 5,000 fatalities, with nearly 1,000 of those deaths coming in just the last six days. Our deaths have tripled, uh, nearly tripled within the last three weeks or so. So, you know, we are seeing the, the results of a careless reopen in the state, and, and we are con committed to not allowing that to happen again. In California, almost 8,500 deaths have been linked to the virus, and health officials say the state's positivity rate is on the rise. 
When we began to reopen our economy, we, so, we focused so much on when, but we didn't focus enough on how to not only do it, but to educate individuals. Google headquartered in California is now saying that they are extending their policy of work from home until next summer, July of 2021. Meanwhile, Target already saying that they're closing their stores on Thanksgiving due to health concerns and safety, and they're instead going to extend their uh, good prices and their special prices for that season way earlier than they usually do. Meanwhile, also an important announcement, MLB and Major League Baseball announcing that they're canceling the first game tonight since the pandemic began, since the season began between the Miami Marlins and the Baltimore Orioles due to many, many staff members and players testing positive. Andrea, back to you. Meanwhile, in Washington, Republicans are introducing a new stimulus bill today, which includes another round of $1,200 checks, but does not renew the full unemployment insurance enhancement of $600. Edwin Pitti has the details from Washington, D.C. Edwin. Andrea, this hour we're expecting Republicans in the Senate to expose what are going to be the details of their new stimulus package that we know has a price tag of $1 trillion. Some of that money will go to help schools in the process of reopening safely. Some more money for testing and tracing. But one of the main points is the stimulus check that many Americans have been waiting, a second round of $1,200 checks. Who going to qualify for that? They keeping the same guidelines used during the CURSE Act where millions of Americans received that check. That means that anybody with a salary below $75,000 per year will be able to receive that check. But not only individuals, but also families, they could receive up to $2,400 and $500 per kid. But let's listen to what White House Economic Advisor Larry Kudlow said over the weekend. The reemployment bonus is there. The retention bonus is there. Uh, there'll be breaks for small tax credits for small businesses and restaurants. That's all going to be there. It's a very well-rounded package. It's a very well-targeted package. Republicans in the Senate are also expected to propose a cut weekly of the emergency unemployment benefit from $600 to $200 per week. This, of course, will play a big role because they want states to do a better job when it comes to assigning money to people that are unemployed. The main issue the White House is having with this proposal is that they don't want people to keep receiving $600 per week because according to them, that's gonna help people to just stay home and not uh, make them go out and look for a job. So that's why they're cutting that money. We're talking about a 70% reduction of that benefit. But also, they want these people at the end of the day to only receive 70% of the salary they had before the pandemic. So, of course, uh, the estates are going to play a big role when it comes to making that happen. Andrea? Now, Edwin, let's talk about the other side. House Democrats are pushing for a more generous plan. What are they asking for? They're asking for a lot of things, Andrea. One of the main things is the uh, Democrats in the House, two months ago, they passed their own proposal. We're talking about a $3 trillion stimulus package. So just by that, we see the difference between Democrats and Republicans. But the Democrats would like to see undocumented families receiving part of that money because at the end of the day, they work here, they also pay taxes, and that's something the Republicans are not considering in their proposal. They do want to send another round of checks, but they are not uh, taking into consideration uh, undocumented families and also mixed families, which are families that have undocumented and, other, and also citizens in their household. Informing live from Washington, D.C., Andrea, back to you. 
Thank you, Edwin, for that complete recap. Take care. And we're also learning today the following that Robert O'Brien, President Trump's national security advisor, has tested positive for COVID-19, making him the highest profile Trump official to get the virus. Now, it's unclear how O'Brien was exposed to the coronavirus or how much in-person contact he's had recently with President Trump. Anyone who is near the president is tested regularly for the disease. From Portland to Seattle to Austin, protests erupted this weekend. While many were peaceful, others turned violent with confrontations between demonstrators and police. Dozens of people were arrested and officers suffering injuries. Protests flared up across the country this weekend. Some were largely peaceful with groups calling for action and racial justice. Hold Tate Brown and the rest of our Oregon protests in Portland, Oregon, took center stage this month after President Trump sent federal agents to the city to protect federal property, a move that angered local demonstrators who view it as an occupation of their city. We got constitutional rights, and, and, and nobody in that office is standing up to the plate and be like, I mean, if the feds wouldn't keep abusing them people, then people wouldn't want to uh, retaliate against the feds. Police detained two people Sunday night after a gunshot was fired during a protest near the federal courthouse. Police say they discovered a bag loaded with rifle magazines and Molotov cocktails in a park near the protest area. It's not clear if the gunshot fired had any direct connection to the bag or the nearby protest. In Eugene, Oregon, a tense scene unfolded outside the federal courthouse. At least seven adults and one juvenile were arrested. Meanwhile, in neighboring California, protesters set fire to a courthouse after a peaceful demonstration intensified. Cell phone video shows the fire at Alameda County Superior Courthouse. Demonstrators broke windows, spray-painted graffiti, and shot fireworks at officers. The blaze was later contained. And in Seattle, Washington, 47 people were arrested and 59 officers were injured. DHS officials saying that a response team from U.S. Customs and Border Protection would be sent there to remain on standby to help protect federal facilities. President Trump taking to Twitter, writing, the protesters are actually anarchists who hate our country. But this was the somber scene in Austin, Texas. Dozens of people gathered in honor of 28-year-old Garrett Foster, who was shot during a Black Lives Matter protest. Austin Police Chief Brian Manley says a car turned onto Congress Avenue, approaching a crowd of protesters Saturday night. Manley says Foster may have pointed his weapon toward the driver, but believes Foster did not shoot. Austin's police chief says a suspect in this last case has been released pending further investigation. The medical examiner's office is also conducting an autopsy to determine Foster's official cause and manner of death. On Capitol Hill today, members of Congress will have a chance to pay their respects to civil rights icon John Lewis. The body of the late congressman will lie in state at the Capitol. Former Vice President Joe Biden and his wife, Jill, will travel to Washington to pay their respects. As a precaution due to the pandemic, a public viewing will take place outdoors. 
Members of the public will be able to pay their respects from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. today. Visitation will also take place all day Tuesday with mourners required to follow CDC's social distancing and mask guidelines. Lewis will lie in state in the Georgia State Capitol on Wednesday and on Thursday. There will be services at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, followed by his burial at Southview Cemetery. Lewis died at the age of 80 following a six-month battle with cancer. And the body of John Lewis traveled the Edmund Pettus Bridge one last time on Sunday in what organizers described as the final crossing, part of a multi-day celebration of the life of the civil rights icon. On March 7, 1965, known as Bloody Sunday, Lewis and other peaceful protesters were attacked by Alabama police officers as they marched over this bridge. They had planned to walk to Montgomery to demand equal voting rights. And at that bridge, occupying a key part of Lewis's fight for civil rights and equal justice, Shea Rodriguez takes a closer look at those pivotal moments 55 years ago. John Lewis's skull was broken by white police officers as African-American activists pushing for voting rights crossed the Edmund Pettus Bridge in March 1965. This is sacred. This is hollow. This is where people gave some blood. Mm -hmm. I gave a little blood on this bridge. Participants were attempting to march from Selma, Alabama, to the state capital of Montgomery. 17 people were hospitalized, including Lewis. This would become known as Bloody Sunday, and Lewis would always show the same commitment and fight he demonstrated on that bridge that day. This is the place that gave us the voting rights act, made it possible for hundreds and thousands and millions of people to be able to participate in the democratic process. You cannot give up. You cannot give in. You will make it. They will lead us. This past March, while suffering from stage four cancer, Lewis, determined as ever, traveled to Selma twice to mark the March's 55th anniversary and was still pushing decades later. 55 years ago, a few of God's children attempted to march from Brown Chapel Avenue Church across this bridge. We were beaten, we were tear gas. I thought I was going to down this bridge. But somehow and some way, God Almighty helped me here. Yeah. Yeah. We must go out and vote like we never, ever voted before. Shea Rodriguez, U News. A real legend. And now in other news, residents in Hawaii breathing a sigh of relief as Hurricane Douglas begins moving away from the island chain. The hurricane grazed Oahu and Maui, unleashing high winds and heavy rain before continuing its track out to sea. Hurricanes are a relatively rare occurrence in Hawaii. But in South Texas, sight of a number of hurricanes making landfall over the last 100 years, the latest major storm, Hurricane Hannah, weakened to a tropical depression after hitting shore on Saturday evening. Heavy rains and the threat of flooding kept residents already dealing with the coronavirus pandemic on edge. The storm brought sustained winds of 90 miles per hour before moving inland over the mountains of northern Mexico. And you've probably seen the notices on stores and restaurant doors temporarily closed due to COVID-19. Well, now it looks like a lot of those places could be gone for good. A new survey found that nearly half of all Black and Latino-owned businesses that are still open 
are in danger of closing in the next six months. And that survey of 500 black and Latino business owners was conducted for the organization's Color of Change and Unidos U.S. Joining me now is Rafael Collazo. He's the director of political campaigns at Unidos U.S. Rafael, welcome to you News. Thanks so much for joining us today. So I want to begin by asking what has been the economic damage of this pandemic on Latino small business owners? Well, this pandemic has had devastating effects on our Latino small business community, the lifeblood of local Latino communities around the country. Uh, and as you shared in our poll, over 10% of Latino businesses have already temporarily closed down. And they anticipate, the business owners anticipate that if nothing changes in the coming months, over half of those businesses will be shut down permanently. Now, what exactly qualifies as a small business and how crucial are they to the U.S. economy, just to give people an idea? Well, the vast majority of small businesses around the country um, are under five employees, uh, and Latino businesses and Latina business owners represent the largest group of new small businesses. So truly the lifeblood of our local economies rests with not only small business owners, uh, very small mom and pop, we would say, uh, business owners, but truly uh, Latino and specifically Latina small business owners are a big part of our economy. Do we know if many of these Latino business owners applied and received federal help through the Payment Protection Program, or PPP? Uh, there was uh, certainly a good amount of uh, business owners that did apply for the PPP program, some of which did not believe they were qualified. But in our study, less than 20 percent ultimately received aid. And there were many reasons for that. But primarily the reasons were our Latino small business owners, many of which start their businesses with their own personal savings. They don't have uh, long-standing relationships with the traditional large banks, so many of which um, had a very significant learning curve and didn't feel the PP program was accessible through the major banking institutions. So the majority of our small business owners that applied either weren't able to finish the process or ultimately did not receive funds. That's very unfortunate to hear. Now, restaurants have tried to adapt by offering carryout and delivery only to customers and residents in the areas. Now, has that helped in any way? Well, every uh, business has their own strategy, and obviously Latino workers and small businesses are a significant part of the, of the dining and hospitality industry. But ultimately, we're going to need to resolve these issues and mitigate the damages of this health pandemic. We're going to need a very strong federal response. And uh, the HEROES Act was passed in Congress over six weeks ago, and the Senate still has not taken up that act. So when either U.S. is calling for the federal government to create a strong response and only, first of all, mitigate the health crisis that we're having, but continue to support our small business owners and find alternative resources, alternative methods uh, to get to minority business owners the support they need. What would you say Latino business owners need the most right now? Is it to just open completely? I imagine they need the funding to pay for their employees and also to just stay afloat to feed their own families. Well, it's very interesting because when you interview Latino small business owners that we did with this survey with Color of Change and Unidos U.S., is they, they feel the top priority was to first address the health pandemic. And they strongly feel that if you address the health, the mitigate the spread of the virus and provide the sufficient health protections and health care that our community deserves in an equitable way, that that will, that will go a long way to resolving their own economic issues. Uh, so they strongly believe that if we address the health concerns, mitigate the pandemic, flatten the curve, crush the curve, then our, their small businesses will be able to reopen and they'll be able to t uh, be able to um, regenerate uh, and reinvigorate our economy. 
I guess we could say we can call it a domino effect. If we address the pandemic, then we can try to basically go back to our normal lives, quote unquote, and open businesses back up. Thanks so much, Rafael Collazo, Director of Political Campaigns at Unidos U.S. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your news, your world, your news on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. The pivotal 2020 presidential election is just under 100 days away, and the president hoping to win re-election is starting to see his slip among a number of key Republicans. Pablo Gato has more on what's at stake for President Trump. 100 days before the elections, Joe Biden is ahead in the polls in battleground states such as Arizona, Michigan and Florida. However, Trump tweeted today, the Trump campaign has more enthusiasm, according to many, than any campaign in the history of our great country, even more than 2016. Biden has none. But the president is not only criticized by Democrats. The Lincoln Project launched today. But also by a new Republican group, some of them multimillionaires, who strongly criticize him, normally making fun of the president. It's the so-called Lincoln Project. In this commercial, a Russian voice says our special services worked overtime to elect Comrade Trump. Republican strategist and member of the group, Rick Wilson, called Trump a traitor. They're getting into Donald Trump's head, which I think is a good thing. George Conway is also a group member. He's the husband of Kellyanne Conway a close presidential advisor. I think, you know, Trump um, uh, is absolutely not a conservative. This group clearly accuses President Trump of destroying the Republican Party and creating the Trump Party, says this analyst. Trump says that no other administration in history has done more for the country than him. But some traditional Republicans criticize the president when it comes to the pandemic. So obviously, we, uh, he was not taking it as seriously as he should have at the beginning. The Lincoln Project has raised around $20 million, but they are very far from the more than $1 billion that the president has already received from donors. The Lincoln Project says that Trump is not a person fit to govern. However, all the polls indicate that Trump keeps an overwhelming support from the Republicans. Washington, Pablo Gato, U News. Thank you, Pablo. Former First Lady Michelle Obama is delivering a stump speech, not for a candidate, but for democracy. In a new video, she pushes for potential voters to register, pointing out that Election Day is fast approaching. The video was published by a nonpartisan group Michelle Obama co-chairs. Its overall goal is to decrease the age and racial gap in voter participation. And Florida is one of several key states needed to win the White House this November. In 2018, the state's voters approved the re restoration of voting rights for some 755,000 nonviolent former prisoners. 
But in 2019, Republican Governor Ron DeSantis changed the law, requiring those out of prison to pay their court fines in order to vote. Now, as Romina Leon explains, basketball star LeBron James is stepping in to make sure some are able to do that. Voting is a right and a privilege, but Americans are not required to vote in presidential, state, or local election. As citizens pay taxes, they also have the right to choose who will manage those public funds. But former convicts in Florida face a peculiar reality. Ahead of the November presidential election, those who do not pay, their court fines will not be able to cast votes for elected officials, despite having regained that right through a constitutional amendment. It is a fundamental violation of their human rights. The right to vote is a fundamental right in all democratic countries. 53-year-old Roberto Martinez was released from prison in April after serving a 35-year sentence for several serious crimes. I personally have a debt of $250,000, a fine I got when I was found guilty. The situation in Florida. Most former convicts are African Americans and Latinos, many of whom have limited resources. In 2018, so-called Amendment 4 was approved by 64% of voters, restoring the right to vote for inmates who have finished their sentences. But by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis conditioned voter registration to debt repayment. I'm all over to uh, to cover this and. NBA star player LeBron James launched a campaign called More Than a Vote and donated $100,000 to help pay off the debts of convicted felons. He argues that despite the crimes committed, voting cannot be based on discrimination. Sadly, this is a part of the long history of suppressing the right to vote of the people with less money and less rights in the country. Florida, a key state in presidential elections, has 29 electoral votes. Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden leads President Donald Trump by an average of seven points in this state's polls. Ongoing litigation over the future of this law is now before a federal appeals court in Atlanta, where activists are arguing that Governor DeSantis' actions are unconstitutional. Reported by Galo Arellano in Miami, this is Romina Leon for You News. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.